Well, welcome back to Sermon Notes. Clark here with you today, and uh, we have Garland. Yes, sir. And Garland, um, it's good to be back with everyone um, here on Sermon Notes. Uh, We have just completed Daniel, and uh, it has been quite a study, um, both Esther and Daniel. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I wanted to encourage you as you um, just cast some good vision um, through Daniel and uh, as we learn how to walk in the way of faithful presence. This is the way. Yeah, I had a leader um, mention to me the other day that in their small group, they learned just kind of the nuance of how to navigate some of the difficult cultural issues and do it um, with grace and truth. And um, Daniel has been a guide for them in that. And I thought, wow, that's part of what we were after. Yep. And um, I know my my trust in a sovereign, faithful God who keeps promises um, was um, encouraged and increased during this series as well. And so, but we have made our way to Palm Sunday this coming weekend, as well as Easter the following weekend. And so give us just a little bit of history on you know, why we take Palm Sunday and reflect on it. Um, just paint the big picture for us, and then we'll drop into your passage and why this passage and where we're going with it. Yeah, I mean, historically, uh, this is uh, Passion Week, Holy Week. And so um, the the early, early church calendar revolved around uh, Resurrection Sunday. And so we can date that to probably even the, the following year. Like, it became important. Um, it's easy to date because it's always the week of Passover. And so um, the early Jesus followers were able to take the Passover celebration and infuse it with a new meaning. And uh, as they continued to look at that week, as Jesus came in to the city, presented himself as the king, um, spoke a series of prophetic messages over Jerusalem, and ultimately gave his life as a ransom for many, uh, and was resurrected. Then that week became central for uh, the celebration of the ministry, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, and so um, it becomes a very reflective week um, for us, and it, as it should be, as we reflect on um, him laying down his life so that we could have life. And so um, let's just let's walk through the, the week as we, um, by the time those who are hearing this, um, unpack what this means and unpack some of your teaching. We'll also be staring down Good Friday as well as an opportunity. What a cool piece yeah. of liturgy, just since you asked about the history and we didn't know we were going to go here, but we might as well since we're here. Yeah. And our dear sermon notes listener, this is what you've come to expect. So here we go. Yeah, at least from uh, you. At least, yeah, sure. at least, at least yeah. for me. Um, it, traditionally, at least, we can look at this in some of the, the 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 ancient kind of church calendars. On Friday, Good Friday, the church would gather together to remember, obviously, the crucifixion of Jesus, um, and that actually set off an entire weekend of things that took place. Obviously, there's some traditions that have a Monday Thursday before Good Friday, but then uh, the tradition was that the church would come together on Saturday night. We're actually going to have an Easter service this yeah. year on Saturday, and I've been trying to think about this ancient tradition in light of our service this year, a little bit different. They would come together and eat together and remember that uh, as the the darkening of the candles in Lent have taken place. Good Friday now has come, and so the the, uh, the Advent candles that were lit during the Advent season, they stay lit during the Epiphany season. Then during Lent, traditionally, we, you would darken the four candles because mm-hmm. the, it's the Jesus is headed to the cross. On Good Friday, the Christ candle is snuffed out, so you're, the room goes dark. The church would gather on Saturday 
and basically pull an all-nighter. Uh, they would eat together, they would pray, and they would wait in anticipation for the sunrise to show up on Easter Sunday morning. And as the sun would come through the windows of the house or the church, wherever they were, they were looking to the new light of resurrection. It's almost yeah. like the candles don't even hold anything compared to the sun breaking through. Yeah. That is actually the where our con- tradition of like a, a sunrise service on Easter morning comes from. And so we will be having, you know, our normal 50 minute or so service mm-hmm. on Saturday night. But uh, if we could, we'd all gather, you know, for an yeah. all-nighter and eat and pray and then wait together for the sunrise of new creation ground and resurrection. So that's some of the history of it. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, we get to adopt that for our purposes. And what I'd like us to do this week, it's going to be a little bit kind of a standalone yeah, so what, what passage are we in? Yeah, right. we'll be in Colossians yep. chapter 2. And so okay. we're not studying Colossians or anything. We're just going to have a just kind of a, a, a one-off service this week. And, and what I wanted us to do this week as we look into Passion Week is this. And, and I, I knew I was going to be teaching this date you know, several months ago, and I thought, you know, what do, we wanna, what do I want to cover? How do we want to go about this? And uh, what, what we're going to do is really pretty simple, but the implications are almost limitless. In fact, uh, we might say that it's really simple but outrageously profound what I would like us to do this week. Um, that's this. To answer this question, what happened on the cross? That simple. What happened on the cross? The, the, we might say the bare, stark, historical fact that a person named Jesus from Nazareth was brutally executed on a Roman cross in Jerusalem in most likely 30 or 33 AD. Almost no one disputes that. That's, I mean, most historians uh, would, would acknowledge that. But that says nothing about the meaning. And in fact, anybody walking by the crucifixion of Jesus that day would not know what it meant. Like you, you, you would see yet another person that the Romans crucified. The meaning wasn't apparent, we might say. Um, and the, re, the implication, we might say, or the question I really want to force us to wrestle with, whether you're listening to this and you're a Jesus follower or somebody shared this with you and you're a total skeptic, is we all have to wrestle with the question, what happened on the cross? What exactly took place on that day? Um, if it is simply another brutal execution of even an innocent man, um, that might be tragic, that might be sad. But that's not life-changing. Or if it is what we see in Colossians 2, we're going to only look at this week at 13 to 15. We're going to look at how Paul answers that question. If what Paul says is true, and we believe it to be true, um, partly because of what happens on Easter. If what Paul says happened on Good Friday, on the cross, is true, then everything about that day and after is radically transformed in a way that you could never spill the banks with words to speak of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And everything about my day, your day, my life, your life, the one listening to this, your life is radically different if what Paul says is true. Mm -hmm. And so I want us to almost be confronted myself and maybe somebody out there sitting there that doesn't know Jesus with, you have to answer that question. And if this is true, then, oh my gosh, what does that mean for life? And so there are some interesting things that did happen the day of the crucifixion, um, certain events, certain supernatural things, um, the veil being torn, um, words of the, the Roman centurion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some unique things, but I think what you're going to be um, delving into is a little bit more some of the spiritual realities mm-hmm. that were taking place um, in the powers that be that we can't see even. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And so go there with us for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let Maybe me just some, read. Yeah. I'm going to read the three verses, okay. and then we'll make a couple of uh, kind of observations. I'll point some of this stuff out, so we'll tr- I'll try to limit you know what we do here to you know the things that we won't have time to talk about, some of the grammat- grammatical features and whatnot. Let me just read it, and if you're listening to this driving or something, this will help you know what we're talking about. Here it is. 2 Corinthians, uh, or no, second, this is Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. This is the NIV. When you were dead in your trespasses or sins, And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, end quote. Um, I mean, it's awesome. It's one of my favorite yeah. verses in the whole Bible, uh, or I guess uh, paragraphs in the whole Bible. And here's what I, how I'd like us to wrestle with this. And even in our small groups or in discipleship, um, this is the way I'd like us to maybe approach this this week. Um, when was the last time you went diamond shopping? Was that... A long, well, long time ago, or did you do it recently with one once. of your boys I when did. they were proposing? Did you go well, help, or we actually did? Okay, so you got to help. see them. They could put them in those little cases with the black mm-hmm. felt underneath, and they they shine the little lights above it. And sometimes the real the really expensive ones are on those little things that spin, you know. And they're doing that because there's those facets of the diamond. Um, they, they shine more brilliantly because the light hits those different cuts and then it all sparkles. What we tend to do, um, and, and especially in the kind of the Western American church, we tend to focus our attention when we think about the cross and what happened. We might say on one particular facet. And in the language of Colossians 2 here, it would be that I've sinned and I've been forgiven of my sin by Jesus. And that's a brilliant, brilliant facet. Oh my gosh! The it focus shines. being a debt has been you've been released from a debt. Yes. that was incurred against him. Yes, against I'm, God. I have a guilt before God. Jesus has paid it. I'm now forgiven because of Jesus, and it's very personal. Uh, oftentimes, when we think of it, we think about. Uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And uh, you and I could articulate our salvation stories where mm-hmm. Jesus changed our life, and. It's not surprising, I guess, in kind of the Western American culture that we've we've tended to focus on the more, we might say, individualistic aspects, facets of the diamond called what happened on the cross. But I want to, I want to point out a couple other ones in this passage. So just notice, um, yes, forgiveness language is there. But notice the other language that's here. There's actually, there are, we might say, three verbs. So if you're taking notes, if you're leading a small group on this, three verbs kind of anchor the passage. They're in the, what's called the indicative mood. They kind of carry the freight of the grammar of these sentences. And here they are, at least in the NIV's translation. Verse 13, made you alive. It's all actually one compound verb. The second one is uh, taken away. There in verse 14. And the last one is making a spectacle of them, 15. Uh, He made Mm -hmm. a spectacle of them. So just with those three ideas, I think our facets are coming. There was a a deadness that's been changed to now something mysterious has happened within, because of Christ. Notice also in the passage, and if you go through Colossians and note it, you'll see it everywhere, the language of with Christ or in Christ or by Christ or in... This language of being incorporated into him so that when he dies, something about our old self dies with him. And when he's raised, somehow I am raised with 
with him. Same language as in Romans 6. Exact same language as in Romans 6. There's and some in Ephesians. Yeah, it's too, and that's, well, that's yeah. an unbelievable yeah. facet of this diamond. That in, in John, it sounds like this. You must be born again. You have to come back to life. Um, another facet is it says he's taken away this charge of indebtedness. Now, I don't think he's primarily talking here about uh, breaking the rules. What I think he's doing, and this is really complex in Colossians 2, uh, we don't have any time on, the sun, on, on Sunday to get into what's going on in the broader context. This is what a lot of scholars call the Colossian heresy. Something's going on, and Paul's addressing it here with this language. Probably what the Colossian heresy is, and this is very debated, um, it has something to do with Jewishness, um, trying to intermingle with Gentiles in a house church and get this thing going. Um, there's something Jewish, something Gentile trying to figure this out. Uh, so that's at a, at a high level. That's what's going on. Um, what I think Paul has in mind here, and it seems it's way clear in Ephesians 2, so you can use that as a cross-reference, is what the law was supposed to do, The old and by law here, think Old Testament Torah. You know, The law was supposed to, we might say, uh, him in Israel, point them into the way of holiness because Israel is the agent of rescue for the nations. How do the Gentiles experience Yahweh's blessing? Go back to Genesis 12, 1 to 3, through Abraham and his family. This is the plan of the Bible. And the Torah's design is to help Israel accomplish that job, that vocation, Exodus 19, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But we know how they did. When we look at the Old Testament, their record is abysmal. You know, they got a, yeah. they got a horrific record of trusting Yahweh and blessing the nations. Instead, they became idolatrous and unjust themselves, like the nations. And because of that, now the law, which was supposed to point them towards rightness to be a blessing, both condemns the Gentile, because the agent of rescue is also condemned, and it condemns the Jew, because they failed to keep it. That's right. That, we might say, very kind of it's kind of a very Jewish flavor thing, very foreign to us, that's a really big deal for Paul in the New Testament. Um, just like, go read Galatians 2 and you'll see it. Um, he says that charge that both condemns the Jew and the Gentile of the law, the legal indebtedness, all of that has been placed on Jesus. It's been nailed to the cross. The thing that both condemns Israel and then also for, forbids the Gentile from accessing blessing, it's all been absorbed, we might say, in and what hence, Jesus is accomplishing. the use of, of we and us. Paul identifies mm-hmm. with his people, a Jew, um, but he also, it, this is a Gentile, primarily a mm-hmm. Gentile church mm-hmm. or a Gentile-Jew combination, Yep, new church, new organism mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. That's so, why. So that's, yeah. if you look at the context right after this, he says, so don't let anybody judge you about food and drink and Sabbath and celebration. Those are all very Jewish things. Uh, there might be a kind of a strange flavor of Judaism, but it, Jewish nonetheless. And so he says that's been taken away. Okay, that's a huge facet. Um, yeah. We might say it, I'll say it really, I'll try to say it as clear as I can. Jesus both absorbs the problem of Israel's sin. The reason they went into exile, he absorbs it on himself, and he absorbs the exclusion the Gentile experiences because now he's the agent of blessing for the Gentile. Now, that's a lot to wrestle with. That's It doesn't seem uh, to us that big of a deal or maybe readily apparent. Um but these are the facets we're trying to get around. Now, the third one is, is I think, awesome. Um, here's the third this is one. This where the idea of victory Victory, yeah. For sure. But. We There's a lot of debate in the theological circles about 
It's called the atonement. Really, that's just what happened on the cross. And uh, the debate often happens as if they're mutually exclusive. Um, and I think that's a mistake. There's a scholar, her name is Fleming Rutledge, and she wrote a massive 600-page book called The Crucifixion, and it is masterful. And she basically just takes the different facets of the diamond, how it's presented in the Bible, and runs you through all of them. So you can see that these actually all are part of the same diamond. Um, and it was really helpful for me to begin to allow these different motifs or images to each kind of get their place. Um, yes, Jesus is a substitute. Yes, he is the sacrifice. Yes, he's in our place. All that language is there. But notice verse 15. There are powers and authorities that rule and reign. Early in Colossians, Paul says he calls them the domain of darkness. In Ephesians 3, they're the powers and the rulers in the heavenly places. Same in Ephesians 6. Yeah, see, Ephesians yeah. 6, Ephesians 2. Um, you're, uh, we, we are led by the, the power of the prince of the air, who's at work in the sons of disobedience, all this kind of language. We actually talked about it in Daniel some, that these powers and authorities, um, these are spiritual forces, the forces of evil, and they actually have enslaved humanity to sin, injustice, and idolatry. Mm. And they win. They don't ever lose. They have, a, they have an undefeated record. Um, they're undefeated with humans. Look back to the garden. Look at the Nephilim in Genesis 6. Look at Israel and the golden calf. They don't lose. Um, they're power. They're powerful. And it's, this is the culmination, verse 15. The cross is the culmination because Jesus keeps beating them over and over. Like he goes out to the wilderness and the one of these the power shows up and throws everything he's got at Jesus and he's already and he's also hungry and thirsty and he and he just shakes him off like it's nothing. Um, that's a that's a that is not a story about how we fight temptation with the Bible. It's a story about Jesus beating the powers. Yeah, he keeps casting out demons. You know these legions of demons are cast out. And here on the cross, well, I think Paul says, and you want to know the real the pinnacle of that triumph, and he says. What Jesus did is those powers that are undefeated, they took their, their full onslaught out on him. They, they literally exhausted everything they've got on him. That's why the darkness shows up in the cross scene. And because of the resurrection, it is the sign that they have now been rendered impotent. Um, mm -hmm. You go over to Romans 6 again, and Paul says, you are no longer a slave to sin as if it has mastery over you. So quit living... Stop walking out there like you think it has your, it's, it, it lost. And that's a facet of the diamond that we mm. so frequently, I think, tend to either minimize or miss altogether. That is awesome. I mean, yeah, I don't know. No, I have incredible. no other word besides that. Um, so we, we spend most of our lives as trying to, as we follow Jesus in our new birth, um, as I've said before, Sanctification is getting used to our justification, mm -hmm. to use mm -hmm. a couple of yep. bigger yep. words. But believing that that is true, but living as if that is true mm -hmm. the rest of our life, this victory that has happened, because those are become facts for us as we identify with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Those it's powers a, are dead. It's unbelievable. And I'm a, yeah. I'm... I got to pick the passage, so I went to one of my yeah. favorites. So I'm going to have to try to control myself a little bit this Sunday. But here's the bigger point, and I'm not sure exactly what to do. You know, if you're doing a small group, it's 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 Holy Week. So maybe uh, it might be a good time to to have a pretty simple night and just do some some worship together, maybe take communion together as a group. Um, to, 
to just reflect. It's a reflective week. It's supposed to be. But what I would like us all to do, and if you're discipling or somebody leading them in small group or just listening to this because you like sermon notes or you wanted to hear more about the passage, um, you have to come face to face with the answer to the question, what happened on the cross? Paul has an unbelievable poise. Like, I mean, the Romans, I bet, hated this guy. You can't stop this dude because they put him in jail. He's like, whatever, I'll keep doing ministry. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll beat you. I'm weak, he's strong. We'll kill you. Yeah, I'm, then I'm with Christ, then I win, and I'll be raised. They couldn't stop him because I think he answered the question, what happened on the cross with language like these? These are just three verses. Yeah. And what would happen if we did? What, if, what would happen if we just paused this week and sat in it, stared at the cross, reflected on it, and just and, and literally allowed what took place, answering it for ourselves, for our group. Um, and I'll just I'll just give, I'm going to end the sermon unless I run out of time with just a bunch of awesome quotes. Here's one of them from a British scholar. He says this: "When Jesus died, the powers lost their power. They can still rage and shout, but the power of Jesus is stronger." And it is the power, to say it clearly, of forgiveness. The past is blotted out. A new world has begun. A revolution has begun in which power itself is redefined as the power of love. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Um, so well, for- and, you know, hence you get the rest of Colossians, mm-hmm. which turns after this passage, and especially when you get into three, there's this outward manifestation mm-hmm. of a gospel person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who has believed this truth, and it's it's overflowing into how they treat one another inside the church, this Jew-Gentile combination experience of what, what the, the new body is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll so, just let, I'll let Paul's words say it in three. Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I read that and I'm like, I need to reflect on that a little this week. And maybe the other stuff in my life that I tend to freak out about, it doesn't seem that bad. Um, Or it it takes its perspective. So that's what we're doing this week. We're going to look at the cross. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, next week, Garland, will be celebrating um, Easter morning together. And so we're excited about that as well. And, um, and for Sermon Notes listeners, um, after Easter, we're going to take some time and reflect on six specific post-resurrection experiences of Jesus and his interactions with those who are followers of him and the implications of those. And so we look forward to unpacking those as well. And so until next time, for Garland, this is Clark. We'll see you next time on Sermon Notes.